All right, so the word I have for you today, uh, I was initially thinking maybe I should continue Pastor Christian's relationship series, <laughs> but I think my wife warned me against that, so I will stick to what I have prepared. For those of you taking notes, the title of my message is The Pursuit of Excellence. So please turn your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 5, verse 10 to 12. Uh, I'll be speaking from the ESV version. So Daniel chapter 5, verse 10 to 12. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of of the holy gods in the days of your father light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him and king nebuchadnezzar your father your father the king made him chief of the magicians enchanters chaldeans and astrologers because an excellent spirit knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams explain riddles and solve problems were found in this daniel whom the king named belteshazzar now let daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Lord, show us what it means to be excellent in you. Give us insight into walking into the God-sized plans that you have for us. Allow us to know that only with your provision are these things possible. Give us the faith to believe that you will provide all that we need. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So one of the things I've had prophesied over my life over and over again since I was in high school was that I was, I was someone with an excellent spirit. You know, I've, I've heard, whatever you do, Brian, whatever you do, God's hand will be on it and you will be excellent in it. And I've heard that word several times from just a lot of different people. And in the beginning, I loved hearing that word. It was like, yes, you know, I take that. I'm excellent. You know, whatever I do, it's gold. It's going to work out. It's going to be good. You know, there's nothing to worry about. But the longer I tried different things, the longer, you know, I just lived my life, the more that word became burdensome. It became kind of like a chain where if I didn't meet up to the expectations that I put myself for excellence, then I would feel like I was failing that prophetic word, that I was failing God's plans for my life. And so that word, as much as I liked it, as much as it stirred my spirit, in the end, it really just, it burdened me so much. And I didn't know really what it meant. And so I kept on questioning, is this word true? Were those people who spoke it over me, were they just false prophets? Were they just telling me lies? Were they just trying to feed, you know, my self-esteem? What were they doing? And it was something that I really struggled with for a long time. And whenever I did do something well, I always questioned, was this something that I did just out of my own strength? Was it something that I did because it came from God? Or was it coming from a place of pride? And I feel like there's a really thin line between believing that it's from God and pride, believing that it's from you. And it's really hard to tell sometimes which side of that line you're on. And I found myself really in the middle, not knowing you know, whether I was being excellent by my own accord or whether it was through God or whether I was being excellent at all, at all. And so recently, in the, this past year, I really began to question, what is excellence? You know, what is it? If you can look on, you know, 
dictionary.com or whatever, and it'll just tell you it's being good at something, you know, you're exceeding, whatever. And I'm like, that, that definition just didn't sit right. And so as I transitioned, um, last year I transitioned from teaching into programming, and I started to ask, what does it mean to be excellent as a programmer? If you're not, you know, if you're a teacher or whatever profession you're in, you know, what does it mean to be excellent in your career? You know, as I transitioned out of worship team and into community, uh, into being a community care pastor, I asked, what does it mean to be excellent in caring for the community? And recently, as I joined the tech team and started leading the tech team, I, I asked myself, what does it mean to be excellent in tech, in worship, in this church? You know, shout out to my tech team. They're doing such an amazing job. I feel like they really taught me what it means to be excellent. And they, yeah, they do such an amazing job every week. There's, I feel like when I first took over, there was just so much pressure on the tech team. And I realized that. But uh, it's because there's a standard to be excellent. And that goes for all the teams in this church. Because we know that as we're moving in the spirit of God, God has called us to be excellent. So I kept on asking myself, what does it mean to be excellent? And even as a husband, what does it mean to be excellent as a husband in my marriage, in serving my wife, in really loving on her? What does it mean to be excellent? And am, am I meeting that standard? I don't know if these are questions you've asked yourself, but these are questions that were really burdening to me. I was like, am I really being excellent? Am I doing a good job? And I was just really hard on myself you know, partly because of those prophetic words, partly because I have crazy Asian tiger parents. I don't know if some of you realize that, where it's like, you know, that system, A is an F, A plus, you know, is an A. It's just, you got to be the best. Otherwise, you're nothing. And so I don't know what it was, but I was just very hard on myself. And so I, until I started asking, what does it mean to be excellent before God? What does it mean to be excellent before the Lord? And so as I began to ask this question, one of the places that God led me to was the book of Daniel. In this book, it's the only place in the Bible where a character in Scripture is mentioned as being excellent. There's nowhere else in the Bible where excellence or excellent people are mentioned. It's only Daniel. And I started asking myself, you know, why was Daniel excellent? Why did people call him excellent? And actually, the word in Hebrew for excellent is Yatir. Did I pronounce that right, Pastor Marcus? There you go. All right, re- repeat after me. Yatir. yatir. I am Yatir. All right, let's believe it that we are excellent. And so in Hebrew, this word Yatir, it means preeminent, surpassing, extreme, extraordinary. And so even in some other translations of Daniel, it says that he has an extraordinary spirit. And so when you look at the life of Daniel, he really was extraordinary. He really was excellent. He's one of the only people probably in the history of the world who's ever served under three different dynasties. He was in Judah, then he was in Babylon, then he was in Persia. In each role, he was serving as one of the highest up in command in the king's court. He served through four different kings or possibly even more because in the book of Daniel, there's kind of a jump in the middle, but you know, it's inferred that he served under multitudes of kings. And under every king that he served under, he was all the way at the top. He had the respect of the kings. And that's really difficult. You know, whenever you're transferring a dynasty, whenever you're taking over a kingdom, something I have a lot of experience in, but whenever you're taking over a kingdom, your first priority isn't getting some of the high officials and making them high officials in your kingdom. 
You really have to have something different for that leader to trust in you. And not only that, Daniel not only was across so many different kingdoms, so many different kings, but he was also under some of the most corrupt kings in the history of the world. You can imagine, he was serving under people, the, the olden day equivalents of Hitler, the olden day equivalents of Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un. Yet, even in those times, he was able to maintain his position. He was able to stay excellent, because all throughout Daniel, he's called excellent. But one thing about Daniel is that he did not get there overnight. He did not get there overnight. How many of you know that God uses the foolish things to shame the wise? God uses the foolish things to shame the wise. In chapter 1, verse 8, this is where Daniel has the first signs of trouble. He's in King Nebuchadnezzar's court, and he's forced to eat from the king's table. And the king's table, you know, this sounds like such a curse, right? He has to eat from the king's table. You can imagine, like... Filet mignon, medium rare, crisp just right on the outside, juicy red on the inside. You know, every night, lobster, butter sauce with the lobster. You know, he has his choice of the king's food. It's literally the top food from the top chefs, and it's intercontinental. It's like international because, you know, the king has taken over countries along the way. So there's cuisine from all different countries that have been taken over. So you can imagine the best cuisine But for Daniel, this was a problem. For me, I would have loved it. It would have been an amazing buffet. But for Daniel, he had to uphold to Jewish tradition and the laws. He couldn't eat pork. He couldn't eat blood. He couldn't eat shellfish and just a bunch of other things. And so he was in a predicament. What does he do? He's in the kingdom pretty much as a slave, and he's being forced to eat these things. That is unlawful for him to eat. And he's a man of faith, so he wants to stay true to his God. It doesn't say this in scripture, but all throughout Daniel, we know that he was praying several times a day. And so I feel like what happened in this situation is he got down on his knees, he prayed, and God told him, eat just vegetables. Eat just vegetables. The reason why I think it was God who told him this was because if I was in Daniel's position, you know, I'd be like, okay, I can't eat certain things. You know, I can't eat pig. I can't eat shellfish. You know what I can eat? I can eat steak. All right. I'm going to tell the, I'm going to tell the warden, give me vegetables and steak. I will eat vegetables and steak every single day. But instead, Daniel goes and he's like, just give me vegetables. Just give me vegetables. That's disgusting. (laughs) Why would you eat just vegetables? Right, right, Diana? Why would you eat just vegetables? (laughs) Diana does not eat any vegetables for the record. If she was Daniel, she would have starved to death and there would have been no book. But why just eat vegetables? And I think it's because God told him, eat just vegetables. Show, and I'll show you what I can do. And this is where we know that Daniel is in possession of heavenly wisdom. Because he knew to listen to the voice of God and not go by any rational means and asking for filet mignon. But he said, just give me vegetables. And so as he is faithful in what God has commanded him to do, we know that God is faithful. A little bit later on in Chapter 1, where is this? Yeah, it says, Daniel is described as being better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youth. He was not only better looking, but he was fatter. Just think about this. You know, this is some of the questions that I didn't ask when I was in Bible, you know, like Bible study when I was like in youth group. But I'm asking it now because I know a little bit better about science. 
He ate only vegetables and he got fatter. Think about it. He ate only vegetables and he got fatter. Vegetables are pretty much negative calories. All right, you chew and you lose calories because of all the chewing and it just goes through your system. How did he gain weight and get fatter eating just vegetables? It doesn't make any sense. You would have to eat like a bucket load of carrots, a bucket load of spinach, a bucket load of, ca- of whatever else, cabbage, to even gain, even to maintain weight. He didn't just maintain weight. He gained weight. He got fatter in appearance. That's how you know that it was God who was providing for him. <laughs> right? He was fatter in the flesh. Right? If any of you took a just vegetable diet, first of all, it would be very expensive in Korea. Vegetables are way too pricey here. But you would have to eat so much. You would definitely lose weight. And you would lose massive amounts of weight. But we see with Daniel, that wasn't the case. And he actually got bigger. So that's how we know that as he was faithful... With heavenly wisdom, God provided for him supernaturally. So you might be thinking, Brian, why are you talking so much about wisdom? Isn't the sermon supposed to be about excellence? Okay, maybe you're not thinking that, but I will answer that question anyway. We just had our hidden wisdom retreat. So for those of you who don't know, the theme verse for New Philly, or the theme, the theme for New Philly this year, 2014, is the year of wisdom. The year of wisdom. And we had a church-wide retreat called the Hidden Wisdom Retreat. And one of the things after the retreat was we were really encouraged to chew on things that we had learned from the retreat. And really to see the fruit of chewing on those things. So not just taking in the message, but taking the message, taking it home, asking God about the message, and listening to God about what he's telling you. All right? And I think that's really part of the process of maturing and getting more wise in Christ. And so as I got home and I asked certain questions to the Lord, one of the questions I was asking is, what is wisdom? And the word I was chewing on was from Pastor Benjamin. He said that wisdom does something. Wisdom does something. It's active, not passive. When wisdom is put to work, it will grow in you. And as I was chewing on this, God just gave me revelation after revelation. And I was sharing some of this with my wife and so I'm going to give her credit for this because I don't want to just steal it. But even though, you know, we're one and technically it's both of ours. <laughs> but she said, excellence is the manifestation of wisdom. Excellence is the manifestation of wisdom. <laughs> so the first point of my message is this. Excellence is the manifestation of wisdom. If you are living in the wisdom of the Lord, you are by default manifesting excellence in everything you do. And I feel like for New Philly in 2014, our year is kind of split up. I feel like in the beginning, we were hearing all these messages about wisdom and we're really learning what it means to be wise before the Lord, what it means to be mature before the Lord. But I feel like we're transitioning where not only are we learning about wisdom, but we're putting it into practice. When we put that wisdom into practice, what comes out is excellence. So I think this year, as we put into practice the words that we hear from the pulpit, the words that we hear at Friday Fire, and the words that we hear in our prayer closet, we will learn and we will start being excellent in what we do. So as Daniel was able to walk in the wisdom of the Lord, King Nebuchadnezzar saw the excellence in Daniel and came to trust him, even putting him in one of the highest positions of command. In the very next verse in the story about, uh, the, about the vegetables, <laughs> or about God supernaturally providing for him, it says, 
So when God sees that you can steward the heavenly things, he knows that you're ready to steward and make those things, put those things into use on the earth in the callings that he has given you. In Daniel chapter 6, I'm going to be jumping all around Daniel, so you don't have to flip with me. I'll read most of those passages out loud. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Let me put this into perspective a little bit. Daniel was, he was in Hebrew exile from Judah, taken into captivity in Babylon, and put under the king's command, um, King Nebuchadnezzar's command. But he wasn't the only one. There were hundreds of others that were taken, not in exile, but also already serving on the court who were native Babylonian. And all these people, it's described in scripture, they were really good looking, number one. Or you can imagine they all kind of looked like Brad Pitt and Troy. And, you know, they all were very good looking. They had very good builds. But on top of that, they were wise. They were very well-versed in literature. And they were just kind of like the perfect man that you would see in a chick flick. They had everything going for them. But these were the men that were serving in command under Nebuchadnezzar. Because he picked the best of the best. They also had noble lineage. And so... Among these people, Daniel was single-handedly picked to be the leader or one of the leaders in that group. So it was no small task. It wasn't just him and his three buddies that he was picked over, but it was a whole set, you know, hundreds of people that he was picked over. Part of Daniel's destiny, I want to say, was to be put, put in charge of the kingdom. Not an easy calling. But it was because he had that excellent spirit that it was allowed to happen. The second point of my message is this. An excellent spirit is what helps us to carry out our God-given callings and destinies. If what you are called to do does not require an excellent spirit, I think it's about time that you question, is that what you are called to do? Because what you are called to do is in God-given it's God-sized. Pastor Marcus has preached about this multiple times. What you are called to do is God-sized. If you're going to say, my whole life, you know, I feel like my calling is to watch Korean dramas every day. That's probably not your God-sized calling that God has given you. If you feel like, for some of you, it's just to be a Hagwon teacher. So for some people, it is their calling. But a lot of you, I feel like it's not. But you think it's your calling? You know, you should start to question Is it my calling or is it just a season in my life? Because God puts you through seasons where maybe it doesn't require an excellent spirit, where maybe it's not God-sized, but he wants to prune you during that season. But if that season is extending decades and decades and decades, it's time to question, am I getting out of my season in the right time? Am I I going towards my destiny? Because a season is only a season. It's only supposed to last for a certain amount of time. You're not supposed to stay in that season forever. And so my first five years in Korea, I was actually teaching at an international school, or a couple of them, teaching math and science. And I thought I was pretty good at it, and I enjoyed it. And I really, 
I learned a lot from that experience. But throughout the whole time, it was very, it was nagging on my heart. It was very frustrating for me, especially towards my last two years. It just didn't feel right. It didn't sit right in my heart. You can ask my wife. In my last year of teaching, I was just so frustrated. I would come home from work, and I would just, I would vent. And I would complain. And I'd be like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I here? I'm doing absolutely nothing. It's kind of fun, but I can't do this for the rest of my life. And so last year, I transitioned out of teaching into being a programmer and being part of web development. And during this time, one of the reasons I know and, conf- and God confirmed to me that this was what I was supposed to be doing was that it really required me to be excellent to do what I was doing. Learning all the different things that I had to learn in a short amount of time, um, trying to find a job, doing all these things, it really required me to be excellent and not just naturally excellent, but supernaturally to be able to get a job in this. Because I was competing against people who had studied it for their whole lives, for, you know, had a degree in it in college and whatnot, but I had studied it for two months. And yet, because I really felt that calling from the Lord, he really gave me the grace to be excellent in that process of learning and figuring out what I was doing and to be able to make that transition in a way that really honored the Lord. For the people in this room, if your job is just you know, easy or it's hard or you're just frustrated with what you're doing, maybe it's time to question if that's what God wants for you. Is, it, is this just a season that I'm in or is this the calling that God has put on my life? It took me five years to realize that. Maybe you can do it a little bit more quickly than I did. <laughs> Daniel's calling was that he was responsible for a full nation, full kingdom. And not, as I explained before, not just any nation, not just any kingdom, but one of the most corrupt, evil nations that had ever existed. He really needed an excellent spirit. The reason I mentioned this is because an excellent spirit, the example I like to give is the story of David and Goliath. Oftentimes we say, David won and he beat Goliath in a fight, but I feel like you have to look into it a little bit more deeply. The, the way he won was that he flew or he slung the stones and hit Goliath in the head. What Goliath was expecting when he was going to fight David, he was expecting a hand-to-hand fight. Oftentimes, what the enemy expects from you is a hand-to-hand fight. But the weapons of warfare that God gives us, it's not for hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. But he gives us the stones, he gives us the heavenly weapons to defeat our enemy when they are clearly stronger than us in certain points. And when we try to fight the enemy with our own brute force strength in the flesh, then we're going to lose. But when we fight with the wisdom of God, then we're going to win. Excellence, I really believe this, the spirit of excellence, having an excellent spirit, it's spiritual warfare. Right? Excellence is your stone. I know a lot of people in this room, everyone in this room is called to God-sized callings, to destinies where you are going to go into crazy places throughout the world, where you are going to be under current-day kings and presidents and leaders, where you're going to be under very evil people in places where evil has a hold, where darkness has a hold. If you try to fight in the flesh, it's not going to get you anywhere. But you need to learn to fight in the spirit. And you need to learn to fight with excellence. So the way Daniel was able to topple a kingdom was because he fought with excellence. 
You don't see him getting into verbal arguments with King Nebuchadnezzar. You don't see him getting into ver- ver- verbal arguments with the other satraps and whoever else, other presidents in the land. Daniel doesn't nev- he never resorts to that in the whole time. Even when he's called to the lion's den, he never resorts to arguing. He never resorts to hand-to-hand combat, to fighting. He doesn't resort to any of that. But he just goes and he prays. When he's able to pray, when he's able to manifest the wisdom of the Lord, that's when God really works in his his favor. We don't fight with the tools of the enemy, but we fight with the tools that our God has given us. In Daniel chapter 4, this is one of my favorite parts in the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar has pretty much a nightmare, a bad dream. You can imagine this you know, very burly king, his head over the whole nation. He has a bad dream, and he doesn't know what to make of it. And he asks all the other people under him, do you know, can you interpret my dream? But none of them had an answer. So what happens is he calls in Daniel because he trusts Daniel. In verse 19 in chapter 4, I'm going to read this out. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Daniel, he answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. When we first read this, we might think, wow, this is so touching. You know, Daniel, you can really see the love that he has for King Nebuchadnezzar. But I think often when we just read it in the words, we often fail to grasp the significance of what just happened. Let's recap just a few things from the story of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar, he conquered Daniel's homeland of Judah. Then he makes Daniel a slave in his own court, serving under him. We don't know what happened, but maybe he even had Daniel's parents killed or some of his relatives killed. And then King Nebuchadnezzar also changes Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, which is named after King Nebuchadnezzar's God that he serves. And on top of that, King Nebuchadnezzar is also incredibly evil and corrupt. Daniel literally has every single right possible to hate the king. And if that's not enough for you, I think there's five words that can really put this into perspective. King Nebuchadnezzar had Daniel castrated. All right, the pastor Christian translation, it's just two words, snip, snip, (laughs) snip, snip. If you're still confused about this, the king made sure that Daniel will never have babies. All right? He made sure that Daniel will never have babies, will never be able to impregnate the concubines in his kingdom. All right, this is serious. <laughs> so the king calls Daniel in. The king calls Daniel into his chambers, and he says, you know, the king who conquered his homeland, who took him into captivity, and he says, Daniel... What does my prophecy say? And Daniel knows right away, because he's living in the wisdom of God, that the prophecy means destruction for King Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel knows this. And for a lot of us, I feel like if we were working for an evil boss and they told us that, we'd be like, aha, I was right. You were wrong. You should have listened to me the whole time. You should have done what I said. And now because of you, because you were evil and corrupt and didn't follow the ways of my God, now your kingdom's going to die. That's what I would be very, very tempted to do in Daniel's place. I would have literally zero sympathy for the king. 
Right? I'm, I don't really have sim- sympathy very well for people. You can ask my wife. Whenever I watch like Korean dramas with her and there's like an evil character, she's like, oh, he's just evil because he had a bad childhood. I'm like, no. Uh-uh. He deserves to die. Zero sympathy. Zero. But Daniel, under this king who performed gross atrocities to Daniel's homeland and to Daniel himself, the way he responds, it really tugs on the strings. It really tugs on our hearts the way he responds. He says, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and this interpretation for your enemies. May the dream be for the people that you hate, your enemies, not for you, my king. I love you far too much, king, for this dream to be for you. That is Daniel's response to King Nebuchadnezzar. My third point is simple. An excellent spirit, it's not just about being excellent yourself, but it's about seeing the excellence in other people. Having an excellent spirit is not just about you being excellent yourself, but seeing the excellence in those around you. Like I said, I will admit, this is where I struggle the most in my life. It's really hard for me to see the best in people because I just see them messing up and I'm like, all right, you know, I don't trust you anymore. (laughs) It's really hard for me, especially the people who hurt you. The people who speak wrongly of you, they gossip about you. The people who bully you, the people who put you in situations that are not comfortable, the people who steal money from you, the people who take you and just beat you up for whatever reason, the people who have no respect for you. But Daniel, he was able to see in King Nebuchadnezzar something that no one else was able to see. Sometimes when you believe in the excellence of others, that not only leads to your breakthrough, but it leads to the breakthrough of that other person. Later on in Daniel chapter 4, it says, at the end of the days, I, this is in Nebuchadnezzar's view, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. We see that as Daniel was able to sow into King Nebuchadnezzar's life, not through words, not through arguments, but through the love of God and through the excellence that was in him and through believing in King Nebuchadnezzar and who he was, that King Nebuchadnezzar was able to come to the Lord and be used mightily for the work of the Lord. All right, I'm going to take us back to the starting passage in Daniel chapter 5. To point out a couple things. Uh, verse 12, it says, Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, who the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called. He will show the interpretation. One thing I want to point out, it's not Daniel or God or anyone else or another prophet who's saying this about Daniel. It's not one of them. It's not another Christian. It's not another someone who believes in the God of Abraham who's saying that Daniel has an excellent spirit. But it's the queen of the land in the time. And she was not a believer of the God of Abraham. But it is a pagan queen who's able to recognize the excellence in Daniel. The excellent spirit is how people who don't know God describe how God works in us. 
Right? The excellent spirit is how people who don't know God, people who, the unbelievers, how they are able to describe God moving in a Christian, God moving in people who believe in him. The only thing that made God, that made Daniel different than his peers was that he had the spirit of God in him. It's a myth that only some people have the excellent spirit. Anyone who has the Holy Spirit, you have access to the excellent spirit. All right, the excellent spirit is not for just people who, are, who get prophesied that they have the excellent spirit. It's not just for Daniel in the Bible. But if you believe in the Holy Spirit, you have the excellent spirit in you. You have access to it. You just need to claim it. You will see the fruit of it in your life. I'm going to close just with one story. It's been quite a year for me in 2014. And the way I started off this year was not especially happy. But my grandmother, uh, she passed away earlier this year. And this was actually the first funeral that I attended for someone that I was very close to. Which is, you know, I really see God's blessing in that on my life that I've never had to, you know, experience that before. But this was the first time I had to go to a funeral for someone that I was very close to. Because my grandmother pretty much raised me and my brother. So they, they held a funeral for my grandma in New York. And then, they, and then my dad brought her ashes over to Korea. And they held another funeral for her here. You know, one thing that makes the story a little bit happier is that she was born in 1912. So she was 102 years old. Or 101 years old? Yeah, she was 101 when she passed away. She really lived a full life. And I would even say that she lived a life that was very excellent before the Lord. She was a firm believer in God. She prayed every single day, and she read the Bible every single day. Every time I came home and I was around during noontime and during lunch, she would just be on the dining room table with her Bible, with her giant glasses, reading through the Bible every single day, starting from when I was, you know, as, for as long as I could remember, every day. And every year, uh, as her eyesight got worse and worse, her glasses got thicker and thicker, and the print on the Bible got bigger and bigger. They kept on giving her just these giant Bibles just so she could read it. But she was so faithful in reading through it no matter what. It was really, it was one of the things that I just really cherish about her. And as I was at the funeral, um, I had a chance to reflect about my grandma's life. Not just from remembering, but from talking to my relatives. For the first time, I asked my oldest uncles. My oldest uncle is over 80 years old. (laughs) But I, I asked him. You know, what was it like? You know, what, tell me more about my grandma. And there were just a lot of questions I had about my grandma's life that I never really got answered. But my uncle, he was able to explain to me just a lot of the stuff that happened. And one of the most amazing things that happened in her life was in 1947, before the start of the Korean War, she was, they were actually in North Korea, my whole family, or what was the North then. And she was starting to experience persecution. And then so her... And her husband, my grandfather, was already down in the south. But it wasn't an easy border crossing. There was a lot of tension at the parallel, at the line. And so she decided that she would take her family down to South Korea across the border. And so she, so my uncle tells this amazing story about how my grandma took down six of her children by herself through the border, through the DMZ at the time, 
through this crazy midnight border crossing with Russians yelling and screaming and gunfire being shot and just them being scattered all over the place at one point, but God miraculously bringing them together. And as he told this, I just started getting revelation after revelation about the blessing on my family. My grandma was actually the first Christian in our family. She was the first Christian. And then she had six children. She had six children, and they all became successful. You know, in my family, there were successful doctors, lawyers, businessmen, and just all over, just doing amazing things. And a lot of them are fervent Christians, and really believe in the Lord and live for him. And I realized this was due to the excellence that my grandma lived in her life. On top of that, my grandma actually spent nearly 50 years, the whole second half of her life, as a widow. My grandfather passed away when my dad was like around 10 to 15 years old. And so the last 50 years of her life, she spent as a widow. And during that time, God really challenged her as she was raising up all her children. I think God kind of saved the biggest challenge for her towards the end. My grandma actually moved to New York to help raise me and my twin brother, Andrew. And we were, we were not fun to raise. <laughs> we were not fun to raise. My parents had to bolt down all the furniture in the house. We, like, scarred my sister for life. She was five years older than us. But by the time we were five years old, we could team up and beat her up. We were like the nightmare brothers. We destroyed all the furniture. We put holes in the doors. We did all kinds of things. My grandma, she was over 70 years old when she started watching out for us. And then she took care of us as my parents worked every single day. You know, I would really like to think, and I know that my grandma was an amazing woman of excellence. Uh, Whether it was gardening, cooking, knitting, she made these origami swans when she was over 100 years old using like these paper tablets. And she would just fold them every day and she would just build these amazing things. I remember when she was 95, I came home and she had, she had sewn a full blazer for me from scratch. <laughs> it wasn't the highest fashion, but she was 95 years old. She had a full hip replacement when she was 96. All the doctors told her, don't do it. Just be in a wheelchair. It's going to be so hard, but... She was stubborn, and she went through it, and she walked till the day that she died. Even on that final day, that morning, she went out with my family. And she ate a full meal of Chinese food. (laughs) And then when my dad... uh, When my dad took her to the hospital, the last thing she said was, don't do anything else. I'm ready to go home. My last point is this. Just like my grandmother, if you live a life of excellence, then you won't have any regrets and you won't be afraid to go when it's your time. (sighs) 
Yeah, would you just uh, bow, bow your heads with me in a word of prayer?